Evening. This is Attorney Vincent Davis and Attorney Raj Matani, and this is the Divorce and Family Law Talk Radio Show. The effects of divorce, especially when the divorce involves children, last far longer than the divorce process itself. The consequences of marital dissolution can affect all members of the family and can last a lifetime. You've got questions, we've got answers. Family law legal experts will answer your questions about divorce, kids, money, property, custody, and spousal support. So good evening to everyone. Um, If you want to call in this evening, our call-in number is area code 646-668-8791. That's 646-668-8791. Good evening, Raj. Are you with me? Hi, Vince. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear, Raj. Great, great. Vince, it's uh, uh, wonderful to be back for another week of our show. Uh, We had a really great guest last week, Catherine McWillie, that I think offered a lot of our guests really good advice on uh, divorce and and marriage counseling and uh, how to go about that process. Um, Today we have, we're going to change up the format just a little bit. Uh, I think a lot of our listeners are hearing you lead the show, Um, but for today's circumstances, I think I'm going to lob some questions your way that we've received uh, throughout the week through um, our website and from uh, potential clients calling us in. And um, we're also going to dabble a little bit in the spousal support uh, alimony question uh, as well. So, uh, Vince, if you're ready, um, I think we should get started. How do you, what do you think? Go right ahead with the first question. So, um, to a lot of our listeners, just so you know, you can always uh, email us a question uh, at our website, vincentwdavis.com, or um, any call into our call into our offices, and uh, you get a free 30-minute consultation. So if you have a question in that vein, too, we can pose it on the show and uh, help as many people as possible. So our first question tonight, uh, currently divorcing my husband, and we no longer live together. Right now, we are sharing custody of our children. There is no set schedule yet. I was just informed that a social worker visited my children at their school today. How can I ensure to get full custody of my children, and will I be investigated too? Um, so, Vince, you know, this is uh, both you and I do juvenile dependency and some family law, and there's often a crossover. I think this is one of those scenarios so, you know, how would you begin to advise this client? Well, I'm, I would want to first ask her some further questions. It seems like I might be missing part of the story. So I'm going to assume that uh, the parents are sharing custody right now, but that uh, perhaps the father has called in and reported the mother uh, regarding child abuse or child neglect to gain, uh, you know, that little advantage in the family law court. It's something that um, a lot these days, um, Raj, we just represented a client um, who hired us to do his family law case 
specifically the mother was taking him to court um and she took him to court and we appeared for him and uh the mother lost that day well the very next day or 2 days later DCFS also known as CPS child protective services got involved and basically gave the mother full custody despite the fact that she had already lost in the family law court. So it seems like the scenario with this question has been turned around, and it's the father making the allegations against the mother to try to gain an advantage in the family law court. Now, the mother wants to know what she can do to make sure she gets full custody. That's a very difficult question to answer at this point because I'm not sure why the social worker was investigating her. But let's assume for purposes of this question and the show this evening that um, perhaps the father doesn't like the mother's parenting or disciplinary style. Let's say the mother may use some type of physical discipline. And today a lot of people think that physical discipline equates to child abuse. Um, I'm here to tell you that's not necessarily true. Uh, unreasonable physical discipline, uh, you know, it can be construed as child abuse. Now, what's unreasonable? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, you know it when you see it. It's, you know, right. the law is sometimes very difficult. Uh, it finds it very difficult to put into words or to specifically define it. In other areas of the law, <clears throat> excuse me, like contract law, uh, you know, sometimes the term of unconscionability, you know, is very difficult to define. But, you know, when I was in law school, uh, one of the writers said unconscionability is, is well, you'll know it when you see it. And, and unreasonable uh, child discipline is probably the same thing. Um, I've had many people tell me, well, the Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. And, you know, I have no argument with that. The only thing is, that social workers, police officers, and juvenile judges may have an argument with that and, um, you know, don't want children to be physically disciplined. But that's not the law in California. You can physically discipline your child if it's reasonable. So in order to, to make sure that this mother keeps custody, what I would suggest to her is that, assuming that the father is making a complaint about her disciplinary style, that perhaps she take a parenting class. You know, you can Google parenting classes in your area, and you can find a number of, you know, of eight-week or ten-week courses where you go once a week for an hour, and you learn different parenting skills. Uh, just from my own personal experience, Raj, when my children were very small, I took a parenting class only because I wanted to learn some things because I didn't know anything about parenting, and I wanted to see what my clients, what type of classes they were taking when they had to go to this so-called parenting classes. And to be honest with you, Raj, it was very helpful. I learned a lot of things. Uh, difficult to implement everything that you learn, especially if that's not how you were raised. But, you know, right. albeit I did, learn, I did learn a lot of things. Uh, so that's the first thing I would tell this mother is to take a parenting class. Now, given the fact that there may be some friction between the mother and father because they are getting divorced, 
I might advise the mother to email the father um, and suggest that they take uh, some conjoint counseling or so that they can learn how to co-parent. Now, last week we learned co-parent may be a, ba- a bad word. What was the term that um, our expert used uh, last parallel week? Parallel parenting. I think, I think parallel yes. parenting was the word. Uh, some counseling so that the two parents can learn how to parallel parent together. Either way, I think that, you know, um, something has to be done where the parents are able to sit down perhaps with a neutral third party and discuss the problems and expectations of each side. So those are the things that I would recommend to this mother to make sure that she has, um, you know, uh, that she gets to keep custody of these children through the family law divorce process. You know, there is one thing that she also should do, Raj. She should also research. She should also research and hire a very skilled family law attorney, so that that attorney can make sure that her rights are protected in the family law process. And if she's listening tonight, you know, I want to offer her to call into our office and make an appointment for a free consultation, she can call 888-888-6582. Were you going to say something, Raj? Yeah, I I think what this caller or this potential client was also might have been interested in is how does she navigate the, uh, you know, procedural waters of a CPS investigation and a family law case? You know, in, in my experience, until CPS actually detains a child, the proper venue for all of the um, custodial pursuits is in the family law court. What's uh, your your opinion on that, Vince? You know, um, it's a little gray, but for the most part, I would agree with you um, that family law cases uh, take precedent and they make the determination about custody and visitation unless and until a juvenile court uh, gets involved. So, and and to her last part, you know, is it likely that a social worker is going to interview her? And if they do want to, is there anything she should be aware of or protection she should put in place before that conversation happens? Uh, certainly, it, it is probably likely that a social worker will interview her um, since the social worker has already interviewed her own children. Um, at this point, I generally, unless the client told me something in addition, I generally tell clients, don't talk to social workers. Um, there's a lot of peril involved in speaking to a social worker. Now, If you don't speak to a social worker, the social worker is going to tell you, I'm going to tell the judge you are uncooperative. And on a scale of one to five, that's bad, but it's probably about a five. If you go and talk to the social worker, in my experience and in my opinion, there is a chance that you can be misquoted either by accident or intentionally and if you are misquoted or, uh, you know, the social worker doesn't like you when you meet face-to-face, 
because you're frustrated and you have a certain type of attitude about the whole situation, the social worker may, might write a report that is, on a scale of 1 to 10, a 10. So a lot of times you're, you have to choose between do I want a 5 or do I want a 10. And I generally <laughs> tell my clients, hey, you got to take the 5. You can't risk taking the 10. You know, a lot of people don't realize this, and, and I've come to realize this more and more over the years. Social workers are professional investigators. Social workers sometimes have their own agendas. Social workers sometimes try to do social engineering that may not be to your benefit. So talking to a social worker is a risky proposition. A social worker is a governmental agent. A social worker is an employee of the county, for example, in our county, Los Angeles, or whatever county you live in. They're a governmental agent, just like a police officer. Now, you know, I know everyone's seen the movies and the TV, uh, and, you know, if the police come to you investigating, you know, a certain type of crime, your best bet is probably to lawyer up and not speak to the police officer until your lawyer is present. Now, and I think that's the advice that we give to a lot of our clients. Yes, it's the safe advice. So I would suggest that you not speak to the social worker, even if she gets mad, even if she says, well, I'm going to let the judge know you're not cooperating. There's no requirement, by the way, that you speak to the social worker, and the social worker cannot get a warrant or a court order to make you talk to them. They can get a court order or a warrant to come to your home, inspect your home, inspect and talk to your children, and to get, they can get a warrant to remove your children. But that has little to do with you speaking with the social worker, in my opinion, in most cases. Wow, Vince, that's, that's a lot of information, I think, for people to digest. Um, so if there's a complicated problem like this, I think you advise this, this caller to do this as well. Uh, call our office schedule a, a consultation, and then potentially we can uh, give more specific advice with even more facts. Um, so let's Absolutely. move on to the next question. Yeah, let's move on to the next one. Um, this one asks, I have twin daughters that are 14 years old. Their father and I share custody. It was a fairly simple divorce, and we are still on okay terms. Last month, when the twins were with their father, they were offered an audition for a talent agency in Los Angeles. Their father does not want them to get started in the business, but I would love for them to pursue their passion for acting and modeling. Uh, if their father doesn't want this, how can I allow my daughters to? Is there something I can do through family court? What are your thoughts? Well, there is, some, there is something that she can do, and I'm not going to make um, you know, a judgment call about whether it's good for the children or bad for the children, but I have <laughs> seen this scenario... You know, I have seen this scenario come up quite a bit um, over the years I've been practicing law. One parent is in favor of the kids going to Hollywood and becoming stars, and, of course, the other parent is not in favor uh, because they are concerned about the, you know, the moralities, the uh, fast right. lifestyle, the, you know, the drug, sex, rock and roll, basically. Right. So. Let's assume that the parent who um, wants the children to go to Hollywood is our client. 
So it's our job to get our client what she wants in this case. And in this case, um, I would have to ask who was in who was awarded legal custody of the children. Because if legal custody was awarded to our client, our client can move forward and put them into the auditions and into the Hollywood scene. Assuming that our client doesn't have legal custody, but instead, like most cases, it's joint legal custody, then there's going to be a problem. And I would suggest that the uh, client at that point perhaps try to discuss this because she did say it's been an amicable post-divorce lifestyle, Uh, perhaps through emails, perhaps not face-to-face. And if she doesn't get the resolution she wants, she's going to have to file with the court a request for order for permission for these children to be, um, you know, uh, to get into the Hollywood acting business or modeling business. And then uh, both sides will have to go to court and the judge will make the final decision. Do you concur with my analysis, Raj? I, I, Vince, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, I see this very often as well where, um, you know, one parent wants to do something. It, it sometimes comes down to something, things as trivial as um, extracurricular and soccer or for like a physical activity or like a soccer team or something like that. <clears throat> what I've seen judges do a lot, and I, I think your advice for the parents to work it out is, probably the best piece because no judge wants to be involved in the day-to-day decisions of of parents. They, in fact, find it insulting and and it annoys them. Um, So parents should do their best to resolve this amicably between themselves. Um, For something like this where it's a big decision, if they can't work it out, uh, submit it to the court, and then it's really going to be incumbent on the parent asking for uh, the activity um, to show probably two things. First, that the choice is in the best interest of the children. So, for instance, just because a, a talent agency says that kids have this opportunity, you know, it's sort of a hollow promise, um, showing that they have these interests independently of their parents' wishes, that they, you know, participate in a school play or something like that, uh, will be beneficial to your cause. The second thing would that would help her her claim would be to show how the mom can execute the auditions or the the classes or the um, you know modeling sitting during mother's custodial time. If it's an activity that mother can do during her time, the, in my opinion, in in some of the cases that I've seen, uh, the court is more inclined to allow mother to do most things within reason that are not harmful to the children uh, within her time. And, um, you know, this goes for a lot of things. You know, when parents are involved in these activities, if it's something that, as long as it doesn't interfere with the other parent's parenting time, the courts are often prone to to grant the activity. But it would really help mother's case if she can show that the children have this passion independently of the parents and that, um, you know, she can do it on her own time. And sometimes the help of a 
uh, a qualified attorney can draft the papers in such a way with the proper exhibits to present that information to the court. Raj, I'm going to flip the switch on you. I want you okay. to assume that you rep- I want you to assume that you represent the dad. What would you advise the dad? So that, that initial advice would would also apply. Is try and work it out. Um, you know, have a conversation with mom about what agency this is. What research has she done on them? Um, you know, what are the uh, fees and uh, uh, parameters of the audition or any potential activities. Um, then the second thing would be um, if mother does file a petition, uh, I would quickly uh, and competently file a response. Um, you know, it's most beneficial to the court to, to show them why you disagree with something. Just showing up on the day of doesn't really help your cause because then it looks like, um, you know, you're not taking the matter seriously. And in that response, father should try and show that, um, you know, this is a, a random event. The kids don't really do this. It would take up too much of their time. And um, even furthermore, explain his reasoning for why he doesn't want to allow his daughters to get into that business. Um, and it doesn't have to be something overwhelming. A father's plea that he doesn't want his daughters to get into this business or be exposed to this lifestyle is a valid request and what the court is going to decide on at the end of the day is what is in the best interest of these children and if the father can show that um, he has a valid concern um, and it's a 50-50 issue, um, it's very likely the court could decide in his favor. So um, on something like this, it's it's a complicated issue. It's probably a toss-up for the court and without overwhelming evidence to one side, it's it's maybe very possible that the father could win. So both parents have a big obligation or a big burden to show that, uh, uh, you know, their request is substantiated and in the best interest of their children and um, sort of presented to, to the court in that way. And, you know, like we've been saying, Vince, there's a lot of steps before the parents should ever end up in court. You know, they should try and work it out amicably um, and then if, you know, they file a motion, they're they're going to have to go to mediation and try and work it out. Um, and then finally they'll get a court hearing. Uh, and even when they get to the court hearing, the court might require much more evidence than uh, is being presented in a short cause trial. Um, so it might be set for a longer proceeding in which experts are called in to see if the, the children can handle this kind of exposure or this kind of event. So um, it's a big issue. Uh, and we have children what, here, Vince, what, that are 14 years old, so they might be able to express their own opinion as well. What type of experts would you anticipate being used in a in a hearing like this? Any kind of uh, therapist or developmental therapist or, or somebody like that, or even calling in an, um, an alternate uh, uh, talent manager or talent agent and asking questions of what's to be expected of the children when they enter this industry, what their experience has been in terms of how it affects children when they receive rejection. Uh, because let's be honest, Vince, you know, as many people that come out here to, to become stars or, or become the next, uh, you know, um, 15 minutes of fame, 
there's an equal number of people who are waiting tables or, um, you know, uh, being bartenders or other stereotypes that apply to to, to aspiring uh, artists. So um, there's a real consideration for the court as to, you know, evidence from both sides as to how this affects the children and whether it be a good choice for them to do it. Right. That's a very good analysis, Raj. Raj, before we go on to our next question, a few weeks ago we talked about the Johnny Depp uh, breakup. Do you recall that? I do, I do. Have you been following what's happened subsequently to uh, to our show? Yes. Yes, um, uh, I guess this, this is our, uh, you know, National Enquirer segment of the show, but um, in an interesting development, the most recent news that I saw is that the lawyers for um, both sides uh, continued the DV trial uh, because they were claiming that they were on the verge of settlement. Uh, and from all the information that was presented, it seems like a large portion of money is being offered by Mr. Depp to Mr. Earth. So um, I think like both, maybe both of us predicted it was probably more of a financial issue than anything else. And um, both the, you know, both sides, I think, are wanting to limit the uh, press exposure, especially in light of Mr. Depp's upcoming film. So I, it looks like they're working things out and um, probably reaching a settlement in the coming weeks or months, I would say. So, so there was all, continuance all of that of discussion the for, for no real fireworks. Sorry, go ahead, Vin. So, so the domestic violence trial uh, was continued, huh? Yeah, so, you know, as we expressed to our listeners, the way that uh, domestic violence proceedings typically go is that one party files for the request, you can get a temporary, which I, if I remember correctly, was uh, was granted because Mr. Uh, Depp was out of town, but uh, Ms. Heard got a temporary restraining order. And then within 20 days, uh, per statute, you know, the accused party is entitled to a trial. Uh, what can happen there is if the parties stipulate, uh, uh, you know, the trial can be continued because it's really only encumbering the accused party to have this restriction against them. But if they agree to the continuance of the temporary or that they don't necessarily want a speedy trial, then, um, you know, they can continue the hearing. So Ms. Hearn hasn't lost her opportunity to still move forward, but in consideration of a potential settlement, it seems like they're pushing it out and um, we'll move forward um, at a later date. Did you hear any of uh, anything about the numbers that were being thrown around? No, I I, I think the attorneys are being smart and not disclosing that that part. But um, you know the big the big uh, discussion point between the two of them was you know the length of the marriage, and I think she was she was asking for significant sums because of uh, her acting careers and going as well as his is. So she was asking for significant amounts of money and um, it seems like Mr. Depp is willing to just um, settle that issue and, and move on instead of paying paying his attorneys and dealing with the public's uh, fallout from this news story. 
sounds like it would be a beneficial for him to try to resolve it quietly and you know let the uh let time pass and you know everybody may forget it you know even i had i had forgotten it until you brought it up right now so it it, it shows kind of how hot stove these issues are uh they present themselves and uh i think that the 15 minutes of that issue had sort of kind of passed and people are on to the next one but uh I'll definitely stay on top of it and, and keep our listeners informed uh, at our next at our next show. Um, since we uh, talked about the Johnny Jep thing, uh, have you heard anything else about uh, celebrities that uh, you know is or could be affected by the California Family Code in uh, here in town? Any other um, podcasts the, about celebrities? <laughs> the uh, Vince, this is going to be my audition tape for Access Hollywood, and I, I suggest we record <laughs> right now. But um, the other big story today, uh, or in the last couple of days, was I don't. These are not some A-list celebrities, but uh, Dennis Quaid and his wife uh, have refiled for divorce. So they filed uh, initially filed for divorce, I think, several years ago. I, I want to say four or five years ago at least. Uh, they filed for a divorce some time ago, but then they sort of reconciled and called it off. And now they've released a joint statement saying that they're moving forward with the divorce. Where that's interesting for, for a family law context, um, and they actually have two twin children, uh, which relates back to our previous question, but comes into a family law context is how are they going to divide their assets uh, in this time? So, uh, there could be a real question about um, what were the marital assets, what was earned in that time, um, especially because there's a, a period of separation. And so uh, there could be a fight between the two parties as to whether um, any earnings during the time of separation should be separate property. Um, but from everything I'm reading, it's it's likely going to settle, and um, they've I think they've already drafted a settlement agreement. But, um, you know, under California family law, everything that you acquire during the time that you're married uh, is considered community property and subject to division. Um, when parties separate, and it's often a trial issue, um, when parties separate or there's a gap in the marriage when they're not together, um, you know, those dates or the date of marriage and date of separation become big trial issues because it can have impacts on things like uh, spousal support. It can have impacts on um, pensions and 401ks, um, and other insurance policies, and can have an impact on uh, debt obligations of the party. So um, that inter- that case is also going to be one that uh, I might follow as well and see see if they present a settlement or or see if it goes to trial. Do you know who Dennis Quaid's uh, spouse is or was? It I I don't know that she's independently famous, but um, it said uh, Mrs. Quaid. <laughs> Um, oh. have, are you familiar so with she's, the couple? She's of not a, no, I'm not. But I know who Dennis Quaid is, but I didn't know yeah. who his spouse was, if she was an actor or an entertainer. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I'm going to scroll some TMZ right now. I can't recall uh, what exactly her claim to fame is. Maybe it is just being Dennis Quaid's wife, but I can't. Uh, I don't recall. You know, Raj, I have to confess to you, when I go shopping at the uh, supermarket, 
uh, I am uh, mesmerized by the uh, the tabloids that are there when you go stand in line. You know, uh, Star, uh, The Inquirer, uh, those types of magazines, and I'm always picking them up. You know what I've been seeing a lot of, and I don't know if it's true or not true, but there are a lot of things that are appearing uh, in those types of magazines that say that Kanye West and Kim Kardashian are getting divorced. Have you heard anything it's, about that? It's every Vince. It's every week, um, and a lot of it is tabloid. They've been married for, I think they're going on like three or at least four, maybe three or four years. And every week there's a story about somebody. And uh, you know, for us millennials, we call it clickbait because it's just a story to get you to pay attention to somebody's website or anybody's publication. Uh, and maybe that's that's all that it is. Uh, and you know, to date, I haven't heard anything to the contrary. Uh, so, if if in if in fact that happens, it's going to be a substantial case. I think um, you know Kim Kardashian's valued at over over fifty million dollars, and so is Kanye West, and um, they both have significant careers and assets and things like that. So, if that if that ever ended up in a family law court, um, it'd be one to it'd be one to see as well. You said fifty million. I think you're 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 un- way underestimating uh, both yeah. Kim and Kanye's net worth. <laughs> Probably more than likely, more than likely. Yeah, it says uh, Vince that Dennis Quaid's wife is a real estate agent, so that's okay. That's her big deal. So why don't we go on to right. our uh, third question of the night? What do you say, Ben? Go ahead. Um, so back in the in the land of regular family law, uh, a caller had asked, uh, "My husband and I got married about six years ago. When we got married, I sold my properties and put the money into our new home. Uh, since we've had our children, I became stay-at-home mom. My husband pays all the bills and our house payments." for the last few and all the housemates. For the last few years I've been working for my husband's company. He now wants to divorce me. What assets would I be able to protect? Will I get uh owners part ownership of the business? What are your thoughts? You know, when you started asking me that question, I started focusing on the money that she took from her separate property and poured right. it into the new house. But that wasn't her question. Right, I think that's the big issue. Right, I think that's a really big issue she's going to have to address. But the call of the question is, does she own the business? And my answer is, well, she owns a portion of the business. That portion has to be determined. But that's not even the most important question. The most important question is going to be, how do you value the business because she could own 50% and a 50% of $1,000, or is it 50% of $100 million? So that becomes the question, how much the business is worth. Um, depending on when they got married and assuming there was no prenuptial or postnuptial agreements, um, she could own a pro rata share of that business. So, for example, if the business was in existence five years, 
before the marriage, and, and they've been married for 10 years, so a total of a life um, life of the business is 15 years. Oh, she would own 10 divided by 15, whatever percentage that is in the business. Do you agree with that analysis, Raj? Yeah, I I first of all I agree with the fact that her the big issue here is not actually what she's asking about, but we'll address the the business issue. Um, you know, in, in when it comes down to what portion a a wife owns in a business, there's going to be a question asked um, as to first of all her the amount of the pro rata share. So that part, how much time she worked for the company, and um, you know its percentage as a portion of the marriage. But there's also going to be some analysis as to whether she in, uh, contributed to the growth of the company in any way. Um, so there could be a potential that uh, she receives a larger portion or receives um, some alternate compensation when you know the, the company is divided. So um, figuring out what portion of the company she supports um, is going to be a big issue. Um, but she also asked, you know, what assets would she be able to protect? I have a feeling that she's asking, you know, will she be able to get her money back from from contributing to the new to the new home from her separate property? And the simple answer to that, in my opinion, is yes. What have to happen is the court would have to do what's called tracing and show that the money contributed to the new home was directly inputted from the sale of her previous properties and then. Uh, contributed to the new home. Um, and then if the home was acquired while they were married, the home is, of course, community property and should be divided as such. Um, but if the wife can show that she contributed to, let's say, the down payment or some rehab costs or things like that from her separate property, um, then she could get that initial money back and then the community's ownership share of the home would then be divided um, 50-50. So um, she has a lot of complicated issues here. She probably might not only need a, an attorney, she might also need a CPA then. Yes, Raj. Um, as you know, uh, before I became a lawyer, I was a CPA. I'm no longer a CPA anymore, but I worked for several years as a, C a certified public accountant with one of what they used to call the big eight accounting firms, Deloitte, Haskins, and Sales. Deloitte's still around, but they're just known as Deloitte now. But, you know, the, the, the important part is how much is that business worth? And um, there are three different methods that are primarily used to value a business for divorce purposes. There's the book value method. There's something called the capitalization method. And there's something called the income method. And, and a lot of times forensic use those methods or a combination thereof to value, you know, an ongoing business concern. Raj, I may have told you this story before, but I want to tell a funny story to the listeners. Uh, several years ago, um, I did a trial um, where, and I represented the wife, and the husband had a business, a side business that he worked on on the weekends. And the side business was he's, he was a video, video, videographer where he made tapes, videotapes of weddings. And uh, he was uh, very no, well-known in his own community. And he sometimes did two, maybe three weddings a weekend. And he had uh, 
all of this uh, video equipment for editing and splicing. You know, now all of this technology is old technology now, but back then, you know, that's how you did videos. Um, when we did the trial for the the uh, division of the property, um, he and his attorney valued the business at five thousand dollars. Wow. We valued the we valued the business at a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So <laughs> that's a big goal. Nobody, right? Nobody argued that our client was um, uh, entitled to fifty percent. It was fifty percent of what? If you buy the father, or the, excuse me, the husband's number. It was, you know, our client was entitled to $2,500. If you bought into our argument that the business was worth $150,000, well, our client was entitled to $75,000. And a funny thing happened during – well, I'll tell you. I've never told you this story before. I, I, I don't recall it. Now I'm not only curious, I want to learn from it as well. Okay, so I could tell the judge was vacillating. You know, he was going back and forth, back and forth. So in the closing argument, I stood up and, you know, when I got to the valuation of the business, I said, Judge, you know what? We'll accept the husband's valuation of $5,000. And in fact, We'll give him $5,000 right now for the entire business. The attorney on the other side, the attorney on the other side, Raj, who we have an upcoming trial against uh, in the Leon matter, stood up and said, Judge, the business is worth more than $5,000. The judge looked at him and said, yeah, the judge looked at him and said, really? He says, well, I suggest you go outside, we're going to take a break, and you go outside with Mr. Davis, and you tell him what you really think the, you know, the business is worth. Because, you know, you may not like what I decide, well, excuse me, what I decide. And we went outside and we settled. Wow. You know, that's what was. That that ha- I think that happens both for you and I, ki- kind of often, where either side is is aggressively presenting a position, and then when it comes down to it, and they they realize the judge might not rule in their favor, you know they think you you know go have another discussion and come back, and uh, we see that in our cases all the time, and I see it in other cases too, where you know the judge recognizes that somebody's not being truthful. And sends them outside, which is uh, you know a signpost that you should figure this out and make sure it's equitable um, before you come back into my courtroom. Right. So getting back to your question, Raj, our um, our caller or listener who sent in that question, they're going to ha- probably have to get a forensic accountant. And you know the first thing that the 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 listener or the caller may say, well, I can't afford a forensic accountant, and that may be true. And in that particular case, you and your attorney would have to go to court and ask the judge for five or ten thousand um, dollars from the husband, 
so that you can hire right. a forensic accountant and get that business valued. Right. Because it's, it's, it's you know, it's so important, and it's probably mm-hmm. the main community asset, uh, and if the right valuation isn't going to be given to it, uh, the wife in this particular case could be shortchanged by, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Vincent, reading her question too, it's going to be critical. The valuation of the business is going to be critical because it will also reveal, uh, you know, the husband's income, which could be critical for issues of spousal support and child support as well. Absolutely, Raj. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up because um, I didn't recognize that issue as we were talking about it, but you're absolutely right. Uh, the value of the business, the income of the business is going to be critical in terms of what, you know, the husband's going to have to pay the wife in terms of spousal support, uh, otherwise known as alimony, and, of course, uh, child support if there are any children involved. So in this in this particular situation, a uh, forensic accountant is, is going to be very, very important. Great. Um Moving on, uh, let's go to our next question. When my this is an interesting interesting one, Vince, and I, I think you get it a little more than I do. But uh, let's see what you have to say. The um, wife is asking that when her husband proposed to her, he bought her a ninety thousand dollars congratulations engagement ring. Uh, the wedding band uh, he also bought was priced at one hundred and twenty thousand. They've been married for eight years, but separated for the last three. If they get divorced, uh, would the husband get the rings back, or will she get the rings? What are your thoughts? Actually, uh, and I know this comes up a lot, um, you know, especially uh, sometimes when they don't even get get married. But um, initially, I would say it was a gift, and it would be you, you know, the uh, the property of the wife. Now, if I represented the husband, I'd probably claim it was community property, you know, not a gift for, you know, maybe my client, the husband, can get at least 50% back. What are your thoughts, Raj? Well, you know, on the issue of the wedding bands themselves, uh, California law isn't uh, 100% settled on this issue. But the engagement rings, I think, are, are pretty clear. Um, and there are a few caveats that are required, but under California Code of Civil Procedure 1590, uh, an engagement ring is considered a gift in anticipation of marriage. So, if you know when you do the big presentation, spend 90 grand, I'm sure a lavish proposal, you know you're presenting the ring for the promise that the other person will actually marry you. And if that union is actually actually occurs and you get married, then the barter is complete. And based on that, California law uh, confirms that the ring is the receiving spouse's property. So um, here they say they were married for eight years. So I think the engagement ring issue is is settled, and I I think she would keep the ring. Uh, The wedding bands are a little more interesting. when you buy the wedding band, typically that occurs before the wedding happens, right? So um, each side buys their, their ring and they plan to give it to the other side at the ceremony. All the way up until the ceremony, it's pretty clear uh, under California law that the wedding band is your separate property. You've bought it 
before marriage um, and anticipated that you will give it, give it as a, a gift on the day of marriage. Um, once the ring goes on the finger, it's considered a mutual exchange of gifts, and more often than not, the um, uh, it's considered a gift from one side to the other, and each side keeps keeps the ring that they were given. Um, I very much doubt that the husband got a $120,000 ring, so I, I foresee a lot of um, battling on that issue, but um, I think it's going to be a uh, one of those things that the parties will probably end up negotiating. Um, if they can spend this kind of money on rings, I'm pretty sure they have tons of other assets, and maybe these rings will be one of the things that they barter for uh, when they do the divorce settlement. But um, it's pretty well settled law in California, but the only issue will be the, the wedding band itself. Wow, that's so... Uh, did you take this into consideration, Raj, when you got uh, recently engaged? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did not. I did not, but, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, I didn't think about this at all, because, um, you know, despite my years of training, I, I didn't do a prenup, and uh, I gave a very... Not this expensive, but I gave an expensive engagement ring. Um, and just today, you know, I was, I was doing a case in, in San Diego and, um, my fiance works down there. So we ended up having lunch together and, uh, you know, we were talking about what ring she's going to get me and we're looking at all these kinds of things and mine is clearly not as valuable as hers. Um, <laughs> so it's a, it's an, it's an interesting thing that I, that I haven't considered at all. Um, but then the other thing is that, um, you know, we had to, we're applying to get our marriage license as well. So, um, there's a lot of these steps that go into into that consideration. And so, um, you know, when people are worried about whose property is whose or where it goes or, or what might happen in the future, it's, um, it's advice that I haven't listened to of my own, but a prenup is probably worthwhile. Um, and especially when there's assets of this value, I would, I would very much encourage it. So, um, I don't listen to my own advice, but I would encourage other people to do so um, and use our firm, uh, you know, preferably to help them execute that action. You know, it, it's very easy for us to um, to uh, give that advice about getting prenups. I never had a prenup. Been married twice. Right. Um, Luckily, you know, not, the way the situations turned out, it was not, you know, it was never an issue. But can be a serious issue uh, if the marriage doesn't work out. But it's also a very serious and a very touchy issue to bring up before you get married. Right. You know, how do you, how do you explain to a person, well, we're getting married, it's supposed to be forever, but just in case, you know, it doesn't work out. I want you to sign an agreement where you know you sign away a lot of your rights. Right. That and I think that that would be a that's a hard sell. Vince, I couldn't imagine the sell you had to make because uh, you know your your second wife was an attorney in her own right. So <laughs> both both of you knew <laughs> the potential consequences, and it still didn't happen. You know, Raj, love conquers all, doesn't it? <laughs> I. I think that should be the takeaway. Yes. Okay, Raj, we have probably have time for one more question. Yeah, we have a we have a about eight minutes left in our show. Um, so why don't I let me see if I can pick one here that 
we can get through somewhat quickly. Um, okay, why don't we try this? You know, Roger. Uh, sure, go ahead, Ben. You know, Roger, I, you know, I wasn't even paying attention to the uh, studio board. We actually have some calls uh, from people <laughs> who are calling in. <laughs> Sure, let's take a call. Uh, Raj, I'm going to try. Let's take a call. Okay. Hello, you're on with Attorney yeah, Davis and Raj McConaughey. Yeah. All right. It's interesting that the two people who are hosting this program who advocate for prenups never did it themselves. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's like your parents say, uh, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, okay. And to answer the question that the host posed just now about how do you bring up the subject, you bring it up. If she says no, um, you try to do some convincing. You try to show her what you've done for her, what the facts are that people's love, even though it's romantically cemented in Disneyland, does not always last. And if she says no because I'm so offended, you dump her. <laughs> hmm. that, that doesn't now, are you, with are our you Love ma- Conquers All theme. Hmm? Sir, are you married? Hell are you no. married? No. Oh, well, I, I guess that says it all, though, doesn't it? No. I happen to know about divorce, um, the consequences of it. Um, in my family, uh, with my friends, I've never really seen an especially happy marriage. I've seen long marriages. But the myth that's taught here in America is that you have to be married to be happy with the relationship. How about you just have the relationship and you stay with him or her for years. She does her thing. You do your thing. And if you two separate, you really don't have to worry about all the the sweat and toil that you put into your work being divided because some people that you've never met have decided that she belongs to half of your stuff or you belong to half of her stuff. Um, so, no, I've never been married. will not get married. And it's a good test to find out whether or not if uh, somebody's interested in you for you as opposed to you for your assets. Point well taken, sir. I didn't hear you. I understand. Oh, you understand. Okay. I understand your, uh, your, your position. I, you know, I've heard it many times. I've, you know, thought it many times myself, to be honest. Uh, but, you know... Uh, I've been married twice, and uh, that's why I, I can tell it. you that <laughs> I can tell you that. Uh, to be honest, the, the good times did outweigh the bad times, and that was something that neither marriage I do I regret. You know, regret. Well, that's because you weren't taken to the cleaners, and how you escaped it, I don't know. But good for you. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, that's um, what I wanted to say. Uh, and since you two, I'm sure, have heard it many times. Um, it's it's a valid point. Yes, it's sticky. Yes, um, the guy, because most of uh, both of you don't want to do it yourselves because you don't want to offend your partners, uh, presumably. But it's a very very um, realistic uh, position to have. Either you sign it, or you go or you go away. Now, if she says I'm offended, of course you know you can be as nice and polite as you want, but. Okay, you're offended, but you're not offended about taking my money in case things don't work out. But we're supposed to last forever. Well, sweetheart, things don't last forever. 
when you take a look at the four statistics, over 50% of the first ones end up in being failures. The second, uh, the two-time winners or losers, depending on how you look at it, they have over 60% divorce rate. Do you think wow, that Wow, is you, it that high? It is, yeah. Well, from what I've read, I don't know if, you know, who knows what you've read. Is no, that, he's, he's right, Vincent. <laughs> that's pretty accurate. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's very much. And very much you, accurate. That's what you say to her. You know, um, you say, I love you, you love me, but don't you believe in the possibility that our love may not last? Yes. And wouldn't you, if you were making a million dollars a year, and if I was making $500,000 a year, wouldn't you want to protect your assets? Well, yes. Well, then why are you saying no to me? Like I say, it's a very good way of finding out if she loves you for you as opposed to her loving you uh, for your assets. I don't blame a woman for taking a look at you and saying, this man is sexy, Um, this man is, uh, (laughs) has intelligence, this man has accomplished, and I think I'm, you know, and I'm impressed by it, but but when it comes down to um, to the nitty-gritty, two people have to look inside each other's um, character and find out whether or not they can actually be good for each other in a relationship and not in a business contract. So if a woman is strong and independent, let her be strong and independent, do her own thing. But they will fight like hell to protect it. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. well thank right? you, sir, for, for sure. calling our show. I'm, if I can ask, what uh, what got you interested in our show, considering that uh, I don't know how many of these issues necessarily apply to you? Well, I was I was just taking a look at BTR to see what shows um, might might be of interest to me, and I saw this one. So I thought I'd call in, especially when I heard two guys giving advice but not taking their own advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we appreciate it. And we we hope you come back and listen to us next week. All right. Well, take care, guys. Bye bye. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Raj, we're running out of time. We have less than ninety seconds. What uh, what topics do you want to talk about uh, next week? Well, Vince, we only got through about four of our questions today, so I'm, we have a whole host more that I would like to discuss. And I want to get into some of the nitty-gritty about spousal support and alimony because we touched on it a little bit here today, but I know our, some of our listeners um, from, our, from our promos were wanting to hear a little bit more, so I'll definitely get back to that issue next week, um, and we'll have a little bit more of the traditional format with uh, with you taking the lead. But, uh, you know, we encourage everyone to join us again next week at 7 o'clock. And uh, Vince, is there anything you'd like to add? No, we'll just see everybody on the radio next week. You can call in. Uh, the telephone number to call in is area code 646-668-8791. Until next week, Raj, I'll be seeing you. <laughs> I'll see you in the office, Vince. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye-bye.